go back, if you would, to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Um, those of you who were young enough that you were in the children's church, junior church program this morning, you missed that we were talking about Moses and the burning bush. How many of you remember that story about Moses and the burning bush? Okay. I saw that hand, Isaac. I'm going to ask some questions. So you pay close attention. See if we can't... Uh, Remember how this, this story goes, Moses and the burning bush. We saw this morning that Moses met with God, and uh, the, 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 the goal of this morning's message is to help us understand, to remember, maybe it's the better way to put that, to remember that God wants to meet with us. He wants to have a relationship with you that's daily, that's real, that's vital, that's tangible, it's not uh, just come to church on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday, you just sort of, you know, tread water and hope that you make it till the next Sunday. <clears throat> I, I intend for you, my, my goal for you is that every day, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, you spend time with God in his word, in prayer, meditating on his word. I, I was just thrilled this, uh, this week. I was meeting with a fellow. We've been meeting now for a couple months. And, and uh, he started saying, you know, there was this proverb, and I memorized it. I don't even remember what the proverb was, but he had memorized the proverb, and he had been thinking about it all day. You know what that is? Meditation. And God blesses meditation. And uh, so that's what I want for you. I don't want you to rely on me to, spiritually speaking, to spoon feed you every Sunday. I want you to be rejoicing in God's word every day and enjoying the, the, the uh, fresh, the fresh um, nourishment that is there uh, in, in God's word for you. Now this afternoon, I hope you took some time to talk with God and uh, ask God to do work in your heart, ask God to do work in my heart and in the, in the hearts of this church. So what I want to do tonight, rather than me lead in prayer, I'm going to give you about 20 seconds, 15 or 20 seconds here, and you're going to pray privately and quietly, silently, just in your mind, pray to the Lord, ask Him to do work in your heart, in my heart, and in our church, and then I will close this in prayer out loud publicly in about 15 or 20 seconds, okay? Here, you pray and ask God for help. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for speaking to us this morning. We ask that you'd speak to us again this evening and have your way in our hearts. And this we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now I want you to understand, when I was speaking this morning, uh, you know, the goal, the goal for Elmira Baptist Church is not to fill the other building. The goal of Elmira Baptist Church is to turn our world upside down. Now, I, we could probably fill that building. We could use a very variety of methods, I and mean, we could tape a $100 bill under every neath every seat, and we could get people to come. And that's fine. Let's, let's just set that aside. What we want is we want to see the glory of God poured out in Northern California so that people sit up and take notice. What's going on? What's happening there? And when the glory of God is poured out, it's going to start by cleansing you, it's going to start by cleansing me, and then it's going to spread to the people around us so that lives are changed, and that's what people are going to notice. People are going to notice the changed lives. In, in uh, Psalm 90, it says this, let thy work, 
appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands. But notice what it says, let thy work appear unto thy servants and their and thy glory unto their children. We want our children, sometimes adult children, sometimes little children, but we want our children to see the glory of God. That's what I want. I want them to know that there's a God who is real and a God who really does change people's lives, a God who is worth serving. I want people from Boston to Tampa Bay to say, what is going on in Northern California? I want people from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon to say, did you hear what's happening in the Bay Area? And you know what? It's not going to be you and I that are named. It's going to be the glory of God. Listen to this verse from Psalm 126. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they, among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Look what they're saying. They said, among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. That's people looking from the outside, looking at us and saying, whoa, what's, what's going on with them? That's what we want. You and I will just be flotsam in the tidal wave of God's glory. You and I will just be soldiers in an army so powerful that the enemy is powerless to stand against it. But first, first, you and I must meet with God. We must have a relationship with God that is personal. That is, it's, it's mine. It's not my wife's. It's not my children's. It's not my parents'. It's not yours, and I'm sharing it. I have a personal relationship with God that drives me to Him in prayer, Primarily, that's, that's the, what you'll note in your life is there'll be more concentrated prayer. How much, just ask yourself, just ask yourself, don't need an out loud answer. How many hours have you spent praying this last week? You say hours? Well, if you were to pray, let's say 15 minutes a day. Over the course of seven days, that'd be an hour and 45 minutes. And then if you came on Wednesday night and you prayed with a, with a small group, that'd be another 15 minutes. That'd be two hours a week. And you wouldn't even be breaking a sweat. And I, what I mean by that is you're not doing anything really unusual. How many hours have you spent in prayer? Now, my guess is all of you have spent hours on your personal entertainment, whatever form that takes. Uh, some of you like computer games. Some of you like to read the news. I, I, God bless you. I don't like to read the news anymore, but some of you like to read the news. You know, maybe some of you watch movies or you have a favorite television show. I don't know what it is. But my guess is you spent more time in your personal entertainment this last week than you did in prayer. Because again, our radio is tuned to the wrong thing. So let me give you, and, and we're going to come back to the story of Moses here in a minute in Exodus chapter 3, and, and especially in Exodus uh, chapter 4. But before we do, let me, let me give you a little test. How do you know that you need a fresh sense of God's manifest presence in your life. How do you know that? Well, here's some, some diagnostic tools. The first diagnostic tool, we know that we need God's manifest presence in our life when we stop enjoying God. You know what Psalm 16 says? Thou wilt show me the path of life and thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. Merely by spending time with God, we have joy.
1 John 1 says this, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. If you don't have that fullness of joy, then it's because you have not been meeting with God. We know that we need a fresh outpouring of God's presence in our life when we find God's work to be wearisome. When we find it to be a burden that we have to bear. In Malachi chapter 1, God accuses his people. He said this, God said to them, Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it? Talking about the offerings. How much work is it to bring these offerings every day? It's just so, God's asking so much of us. When we get to that place in our lives, we know that we need uh, a fresh outpouring of God's manifest presence in our lives. We know that we need a, a fresh outpouring of God's manifest presence when we are more interested in fighting with each other than we are in fighting with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I don't know who it is in your life. Hopefully you don't have anyone in your life. But there, there's some people, you know, you're just itching to get an argue, argument with them. You're hoping they say the wrong thing. So you can jump back in there. And say, Let me tell you how it really is. Now, I hope none of you are getting into fist fights with that person. But maybe, maybe you throw things at each other. I don't know. When you're more interested in fighting with someone than you are in fighting your own flesh, then you need a fresh outpouring of God's presence in your life. By the way, what does Proverbs tell us? Only by pride cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. So many of the times, the, the people I'm looking to fight with is because I'm proud and I'm better than them and I'm going to show them that I'm right. That, that spirit, that attitude does not come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from our flesh. You know, we know that we need God's manifest presence when we are convinced that God is withholding some good thing from us. Psalm 64.11, Psalm 84.11 says, The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. But I've met a lot of Christians that feel like, you know, God owes me something. I, I've been telling God he's got to give me this. He's got to do this for me. He's never done it for me. He's withholding this good thing. Don't, don't do that. Ask God to open your eyes to the ways he's blessed you and be grateful for his goodness in your life. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I mentioned this morning that as long as we're satisfied with just average Christianity, which is mediocre Christian living, which is going through the motions, we're self-satisfied that we have the right doctrine and we're neither cold nor hot, then we will not experience the manifest presence of God. Exodus chapter 3, let's take a look at verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I will see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. What drew Moses' attention to the bush? It was on fire. And when a church experiences that extraordinary work of God within the church, people want to know what's going on. Now, I didn't say they'll, they'll join the church. They may run for the hills. Because they don't want to deal with God. But they'll know that there's a God and that he's real to that church. Let me, let me continue my story from this morning. 
uh, the, the church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, 1962. He said this, and this is after they started those prayer meetings that I mentioned. The meetings began, the meetings, so, so, so they've been praying for five years. They actually, three years into these prayers, prayer meetings, they had requested a certain evangelist, the two Sutero brothers, I, I don't know if you know them, but Sutero brothers, to come to their church and to speak. So that's what he's talking about now. The meetings began on Wednesday night, and we planned to go for a week and a half. So they were going to go from Wednesday to that Sunday, and then another week beyond Sunday, 10 days, week and a half. The first meeting we had around 150 people present. I remember this is a church of 175, so that's about the church. We had about 150 people present, and several people responded at the invitation, and God's manifest presence was with us. By Saturday night, we were packed out, and Sunday was almost impossible. So we contacted a neighboring church and spent only two nights there because their church would seat no more than 600, and we were already beyond capacity. At this juncture, the Christian and Missionary Alliance Church opened their facilities to us. It was possible to pack close to a thousand people in their church building. Uh, yeah, uh, it, was, it was possible, excuse me, uh, 1,600 people in their church building. And it was quickly filled to overflowing. The caretaker lost his cool, and he told us we would have to get rid of some of those people, or the fire marshal might close us down. So I asked to go back to the Alliance Church and had a meeting with them, but even when only my people came, more people came in off the street and the problem remained the same as before. A week or so later, the caretaker got saved and then he didn't care how many people we packed in. <laughs> Eventually, we had to do double services every night to accommodate the crowds. This is in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. It's not a big city. We finally had to move to the city auditorium, which would seat 2,400, and there too, we had to have double services. 4,800 people coming a night. Instead of going for a week and a half, we had to go for six or seven weeks altogether. In other words, they quit counting. They just kept going. The main meetings were followed by smaller meetings called afterglows. These smaller meetings sometimes went for hours, and many, many people met with God in these smaller meetings. Numbers of people who were baptized church members discovered that they had never been born again. This included some from my church also. A young man who had been an assistant pastor to me some years before phoned to tell me God had showed him that he had never been born again. I got some men together and we prayed with him. He suddenly burst into tears and said, God is real. His family found it hard to believe because for some years he had worked as a leader with a group training people in evangelism. But as he told us, he knew the language, but he never knew the Lord. Listen to this account. Broken homes were restored by the Lord of glory. One woman whose husband had left her with three children, who was cracking up emotionally and who had seen several psychiatrists, was touched and healed by the risen Christ. One day, her husband dropped in to see the children. He took one look at his wife and said, Whatever happened to you? She told him about what God had done for her, and he came under deep conviction of sin. About a week later, he received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and the home was beautifully restored. That's the glory of God poured out. That's the power of God to change lives. I don't know about you. I'm praying right today. This week, I have prayed for multiple families that are literally breaking up. Not, not here at Elmira Baptist Church, praise the Lord. But people you know, your, your, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, their marriages are not just on the rocks. They've already split up. They're living in different towns, some of them. 
You know, the only thing that's going to restore those marriages is Jesus Christ and them meeting with God. I don't have some secret sauce that I'm going to pour onto it and then everything's going to be okay. But we should, here's the key, we should expect opposition. Back to Exodus. Look with me at Exodus 3.19. Exodus 3.19. This is God speaking. He says to Moses in Exodus 3.19, And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. I'm sure that, the, that Pharaoh won't let you go. Now, doesn't that seem odd that God would say that to Moses? I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. You're going to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's going to say, no. In fact, I'm sure he's not going to let you go. We should expect opposition. Sometimes I think people think that when God pours out his glory, that it just annihilates the opposition and, and we just run over everybody. But the truth is, when God pours his glory out, the, the, uh, the enemy, the adversary, rises up against us and tries everything he can to stop us. In the case that I read to you, there's a caretaker who doesn't want them to use the building. But if we're going to experience God's power, if we're going to experience God's manifest presence, we always start with what we have in our hands. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. And children, I encourage you to pay attention because I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. Exodus chapter 4 verse 1, And Moses answered and said, Behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? Children, what was, what was it that Moses was holding in his hands when he said, What is that in thine hand? Elena. It was his staff. His staff, his shepherd's staff, the rod that he took care of the sheep. And, and children, God said to Moses, Throw that on the ground. And when Moses threw that staff on the ground, what did it become? Cutler. It became a serpent. It became a snake. Here's the last question, children. God then instructed Moses on how to pick up that snake. How did God tell Moses to pick up that snake? Hattie? By the tail. By the tail. By the tail. Now, if you've learned anything about snakes, you learn you don't pick them up by the tail. Because they can come around and bite you. But he says that, specifically by the tail. Verse 4, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. Now we know the story. You know the story. As soon as he reaches down and he touches the tail of that snake, that snake turns back into his shepherd's staff, his, his rod, and he's not injured at all. But what does it take to grab a venomous snake by the tail? Hudson? It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of, courage. It takes a lot of faith takes a lot of faith. You know why so often we lack the manifest presence of God in our life? Because we lack faith. We don't believe God really wants to use me. Now, I'm speaking for myself. You probably say, oh yeah, of course God wants to use pastor. You're the pastor. But me, I'm just, I'm just Joe Blow member. And I, you know, how can God use me? God wants to use you. And when a church catches fire, and I'm using that metaphorically, I don't mean the church building burns down. But when the church catches fire, it's because the individual members see that God wants to use them. That God's put something in your hand. Second thing that Moses has. He has a staff. He has that shepherd's rod. What's the second thing, children, that he has that God wants him to use as an object lesson? 
Hudson, you've answered one. Anyone that doesn't has an answer one, go ahead, Hudson. He doesn't have a rock. I mean, there's lots of rocks around, but that's not what God asked him to, to do next. What does God ask him to do next? Cutler again. Not his shoes. No, no, let's read it. Let's read it. Verse uh, 5 here. Uh, Verse 6. And the Lord said further unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. God said, You got your hand? Yeah, I got a hand. Okay, I want you to put your hand there into into your shirt. Okay, put his hand in his shirt. He pulls it out. And now it's covered with leprosy. Now understand, leprosy, in Moses' day, leprosy is an uncurable disease. And now he's got leprosy. Now, can you imagine if you're Moses? It's one thing to throw your staff on the ground and it becomes a snake, and you can always run away, right? It's another to put your hand in your shirt, pull it out, and now it's leprous. What are you going to do? Cut your hand off? How do you get rid of that? And what does God say to Moses, verse 7? And he said, put thine hand into thy bosom again. Now, if I'm Moses, I say, God, that's what got me in trouble last time. <laughs> you told me to put my hand in there. I mean, I'm not going to have anything left if I put my hand in there again. You see, if the snake and picking the snake up by the tail shows us the faith that Moses needed to be used by God, this second illustration, this second object lesson God gives us shows us that we've got to give up on our own thinking if we're going to accomplish anything for God. We've got to quit thinking that we know better than God. And we've got to trust that what He says is right. Now, the reason I hold up my Bible is a lot of people come to me and they'll say, you know, uh, Pastor, I, 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 you know, God spoke to me. Or, I, I, I'm not talking about that. When I say what God said, I mean what's clearly in His Word. What you and I can read for ourselves We have to trust that over our own thoughts. What has God put into our hands? Let me take a minute here and think this through with you. What has God put into our hands? Some of you teach our children. You teach uh, Sunday school, or you teach uh, junior church, you teach uh, children's church. There's a a couple of groups that meet on Wednesday night, and I'm, I'm, number one, I'm grateful for your faithfulness. All of our teachers, our children's teachers are faithful. I'm, I'm grateful. But do you come every class excited about what you get to teach these children? I mean, is that your motivation? I mean, I love God. I get to teach these children about God. Now, some of you do, and I, I thank you. Some of you, you're just going through the motions. Now, I'm not going to call out names, so, but I, some of you are just going through the motions. Don't go through the motions when you have a chance to serve God. We have people here at this church, they're young Christians, and you know what they need more than anything? They need someone else, they need a mature Christian to sit down and meet with them and and study the Bible with them and pray with them. That's what they need. And some of you are doing that. Again, if you're doing that, I'm not trying to burden you further, but more of us could be doing that. More of us, we call this discipleship. Now, I was recently reading uh, or hearing, I don't remember the exact way it got into my head, but about a church. I know of the pastor. He's from the Portland area. He's doing discipleship by smartphone. I think that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. (laughs) And here's why. Because a smartphone is designed to make things quick and easy, right? You don't go to your smartphone because things are hard and you want it to be hard. 
You go to your smartphone because you want to know what the weather is and you don't even, you just want to look. Right? You want to know what your email is or maybe social media, whatever. You want to make it quick and easy. Let me ask you, is discipleship quick and easy? Okay. How can you take a device that's intended to make things quick and easy and disciple people with it? I would like him to teach people how to wrestle with their smartphones. <laughs> Any of you wrestle in high school? We had a, we had a, a, a little um, a fundraiser at the Bible college that I went to where they would have us Bible college men wrestle each other and people actually paid money to watch us because we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> and it was a comedy show. But wrestling, of all the sports I've attempted, wrestling is the hardest. You know, I can run up and down the basketball court a lot of times, but you wrestle for four or five minutes, I mean, with someone else that's your size and weight, and you are just spent. Just all your energy is gone. Discipleship is more like wrestling than social media. And if you can teach somebody to wrestle by showing them on a smartphone, you can teach somebody, you can disciple somebody with a smartphone. But you know what happens, and I, I speak from experience here, when, when people came alongside to disciple me, I needed them to be there for me. I didn't need to look at my smartphone. I needed to look at somebody eyeball to eyeball and talk to them face to face. And I needed them to hear my heart and I needed to see that they had a heart for me. And you can't do that over Zoom. You can't do that over FaceTime. Now, sometimes it's a phone call and I'm grateful for the times that it can be as simple as a phone call, but sometimes people need to see you and you know why we don't have more discipleship in our church? Because we're too busy. What else has God put, God put in our hands? And I, I'm going quickly. Last week, if you were here, you received a little Gideon New Testament. I, I was so thrilled this morning. Some of the kids were telling me the friends that they had given this Gideon New Testament to. How many of you gave away your Gideon? Uh, don't, I don't need to raise your hands. How many of you gave away your Gideon New Testament? That was something God put in our hands. All we had to do was give it to somebody. But you know what? I bet a lot of us just set it on the table at home, and it's still sitting there on the table at home. We put it in a drawer, put it in our car, still sitting there in our car. Can we expect God to do an extraordinary work in our church when we don't even use what's in our hands? And, and hear my heart here. I, it's, it's a rebuke. But seriously, if, if we're not going to use what's in our hands, why do we pray for God to give us more? God said to Moses, when Moses said, they're not going to believe me, God started with two things. What's in your hand? Well, I got a rod. Okay, throw that on the ground. Hands a snake. Pick it up by the tail. Show some faith. Put your hand. What's the other thing you have? You have a hand, right? Put that in your, in your uh, jacket. Pull it out. Okay, there it's like a leprosy. That isn't as miraculous as you put it back in your hand, and when you come out, it's perfectly whole. Let's start with the things that God has put in our hands. Because this manifest presence of God, this extraordinary work that God wants to do through Elmira Baptist Church, and by the way, through other churches too, but I'm preaching to Elmira Baptist Church, that God wants to do through Elmira, Elmira Baptist Church, it requires our cooperation. And that's where we run into that wall again. Because we don't, we're not ready to cooperate. We're not willing to take the things that are in our hands and do anything with them. We're not willing to make our Sunday school class a priority. We're not willing to, to be here for prayer on Wednesday nights. We're not willing to take time with God each day in His Word, reading His Word for profit and praying. 
And if we won't do that, please don't pray for an extraordinary work of God's power if we're not willing to start with what's in our hands. We need to cooperate with God. And that's Moses' problem. Even after all of this that God has showed him, Moses still does not want to cooperate with God. Uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13. Pick it up here in verse 12. Now therefore, this is God giving Moses a direct command. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. And Moses said, O my Lord, so this is Moses talking to God, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And you might say, well, what does he mean by that? Well, God knows exactly what he means. And here's God's response in verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why was God angry? Because Moses basically said, yeah, God, you should send somebody, but find somebody else, not me. And so what does God do? He says, is not Aaron, I'm in the middle of verse 14 now, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Here's the point I want to make from these verses. We either cooperate with God, or God finds someone who will cooperate with him. And who loses when God has to find someone else to cooperate with him? I do. God never loses. God's going to fulfill this plan with or without you and me. God does not need Elmira Baptist Church. Don't, don't, don't think that somehow I think Elmira Baptist Church is the only right church in this whole county of Solano County. And, you know, if we don't do it, no one else is going to do it. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying I want to cooperate with God. I want you to cooperate with God. Because if we don't cooperate with God, he'll find another church. And we'll miss out on the blessing. I think one of the reasons that Moses struggled with what God was asking him to do is given to us in Exodus 3, verse 11. So go back one chapter, Exodus 3, 11. Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? Who am I? Why ask me? Moses lacks confidence in himself. And here's why he lacks confidence in himself. You remember this morning we talked about it 40 years previously. Hadn't he tried this very thing? 40 years previously he'd gone and he'd killed that Egyptian and he thought the Israelites would understand and they'd rise up with him and they'd overthrow their Egyptian taskmasters. They'd throw off the shackles of slavery and they'd leave Egypt and they'd go to the promised land. And that didn't happen. And so he thinks, who am I? God, I tried that. It didn't work. You're going to need someone else. But our confidence should never be in ourselves. Our confidence should never be in ourselves. Now, if I ever tell you, just, just have confidence, I don't mean just have confidence in yourself because you and I are both sinners. But God does call us to have confidence in Him. Listen to this verse from 1 Peter chapter 1. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Our faith, our hope is not in ourselves. Our faith, our hope is not in our church. Our faith, our hope, your hope, your hope and your faith better not be in me. Our faith, our hope is in God. We ought to be confident in Christ that if he has called us to do it, we can do it. But that's not Moses. Moses says, yeah, yeah, somebody ought to go free those people. It's a terrible thing going on in Egypt. It's so sad that we've been slaves for generations. But send somebody else, Lord. Lord says, okay, I'm going to get Aaron. 
Sometimes it's because we have a sin that's keeping us from cooperating with God. I, I mentioned that this morning. But you know, sometimes we're just comfortable in our current condition. We just like it. I mean, hey, it's nice. We've got a nice church here, and you guys are all kind to me. And why, why rock the boat and try to find new people? And so we become comfortable in our situation, and we'd rather be comfortable than see God's glory. Look with me at Exodus chapter 5, verse 20. Exodus 5, verse 20. And they, this is the, the uh, officers of the children of Israel. These are the elders of the children of Israel. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because you have made our Savior to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. If you don't remember this story, this is what's happened so far. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. They said, let the people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And then Pharaoh turned to his servants, his taskmasters, and he said, listen, it's obvious that the Israelites have too much time on their hands, so I want you to take away the straw that you've been giving them to make brick. Make them go throughout the land and gather more straw. Make them work harder. And so the taskmasters come to the children of Israel, the Israelites, and they say, uh, okay, we're not giving you any more straw, but you still have to make the same number of bricks. Find your own straw. And now the Israelites are going all throughout the land of Egypt. They're trying to find enough straw in order to keep up the quota of bricks, and their life is harder. And sometimes they're being beaten by their Egyptian taskmasters because they're not keeping up with the quota. And they come to Moses and Aaron, and they say, God judge you because you're making our lives harder. Do you understand what they're saying? We'd rather just be slaves. Why, why make our lives hard? Just let us, we're slaves. We're happy as slaves. How many times as they're going through the wilderness to the children of Egypt say, oh, that we were back in Egypt. What? Why would you want to be slaves? Well, there are some things, and please, don't misquote me, and that's one of the reasons this is not on Facebook tonight, but don't, don't misquote me. There are some benefits to slavery, right? I mean, you're just told what to do. You don't have to make any decisions for yourself. And you can always blame the master. It's his stupid idea. I don't know what I'm doing. And sometimes we are content to just let life happen to us. Well, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what God's doing. It's just terrible. It's just terrible. Well, what does God want you to do about it? I don't know. Well, have you prayed? No. And we just like to have a pity party. It's, it's easier than doing something right. It's either easier than taking responsibility. And I'm, I'm convinced that's one reason that so many churches are just mediocre and just apathetic and just, like I said, comatose or nearly comatose because it's easier to be a Christian that says, I just don't know what to do than to say, what has God put in my hand? I'm going to do that. If we're going to be a church that sees the manifest presence of God, we're going to need to, we're going to have to pray more. We're going to have to pray more. Now, I don't mean by that that we're going to all gather all the time to pray. I mean, in our personal time with God, we're going to have to pray more. Here's what R.A. Torrey said. He said, great revivals always begin first in the hearts of a few men and women whom God arouses by his spirit to believe in him as a living God, as a God who answers prayer, and upon whose hearts he lays a burden from which no rest can be found except in crying unto God. 
We need a few of us at least. I hope all of us, but at least a few of us, to say, I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray that God pours out his extraordinary power and glory in Northern California. It doesn't have to be right on our church. I'd be happy to be caught up in the tidal wave. But pray that God, pray that the people on the East Coast would say, what is going on in the Bay Area? I thought that was a God-forsaken place, but something's going on over there. We need some folks that will pray for that. Let me remind you what Bill McLeod said to his church. He said, miss Sunday morning if you must, miss Sunday evening if you have to, but only miss the midweek prayer meeting if you're dead. That's what he told him. Now, I'm not saying if you're dead, you can miss. I want you here even if you're dead. No, that's not, that's not where I'm going with this. But we do need to pray more. And I want you to look at your watch about 6.30, set an alarm. About 6.30 Wednesday night, set an alarm, 6.30 Wednesday night, and when that alarm goes off, ask yourself, what am I going to do with the next two hours? If you've got something that you think is more important to prayer than prayer, between 6.30 and 8.30 on Wednesday nights, you do that. But if you look at your watch at 6.30 on Wednesday night, and you can't think of anything more important than prayer, come join us. Come join us. You say, I don't really know how to pray. You know how you're going to learn how to pray? You're going to listen to your brothers and sisters pray. You're going to share your heart with them and they're going to say, you know, when, when, when God put that burden on me, here's how I prayed. We need to pray more. How many hours, I asked this earlier, how many hours have you spent in concentrated prayer in the last week? That's in your hand. That's something that God puts in your hand. Prayer, you can, you can pray. You don't have to be smart to pray. I'm so glad you don't have to be smart to pray. You don't have to be spiritual to pray. You just have to be frank and candid with God. That's what prayer is. God, here's my problem. We need to prepare. If we're going to see God's extraordinary power poured out, we need to prepare to minister to people on Resurrection Sunday. There's two times every year when we usually have an unusual number of people join us. One is at Christmas time. We just had that. If I remember right, we had 145 people join us on the Sunday before Christmas. No, the Sunday, two Sundays prior to Christmas. I'm expecting a crowd that big or larger on Resurrection Sunday. Now, some of you are probably asking, where are we going to put all these people? Well, you remember, we often meet outside on Resurrection Sunday. So you pray for good weather so we can meet outside. <laughs> but number two, why don't you ask God on Resurrection Sunday to put somebody in your hand? That you would, you, you would have somebody to invite. Uh, it could be a coworker, it could be a family member, it could be a friend. Uh, it could be someone you meet at the store. Last, a couple years ago, we had somebody invite Joy Small while Joy was at the store. There's Joy. Hi, Joy. And now Joy's become a member here. Because somebody saw that at the store, they could invite somebody on, on, on Easter. Why don't you ask God to put some, someone in your hand that you are going to, here in the next two months, two and a half months, you're going to make a particular point to invite that person to Resurrection Sunday. You're going to say, I'd like you to be my particular guest. I'd like you to sit next to me on Resurrection Sunday. I'd like you to come join me to worship God. And then prepare. Uh, I mentioned this morning, Tim Schmidt is coming to preach to us in April, April 21st through the 28th. 
And I know Tim's heart. One of the reasons I've invited him to come preach, and I invited him two years ago now, but one of the reasons I invited him to come preach is because he believes God can still do an extraordinary work among God's people today. He's not just punching a time card, collecting love offerings until the Lord comes back. He believes that God can use unusual methods. God can use ordinary people. God can use small churches to do a great work for him. And I, I don't want to just go through the motions of having a, a conference. So number one, pray for me that I would know how to organize the conference. And, and that, but also pray for yourself that during that conference in April, April that God would speak to you. That God would speak to you. That God would speak to you. And then take your responsibilities seriously here at Elmira Baptist Church. Who is it within your influence that you can point to Jesus Christ? Who is it within your sphere of influence that you can draw alongside of and disciple? We have people come every Sunday. Every, every Sunday, almost every Sunday, I won't, I won't exaggerate for a fact, but almost every Sunday, maybe 40, 45 Sundays out of, the, out of the year, we have somebody come on a Sunday morning who desperately needs a friend. Um, that's what they need. Now, they also need Jesus. I don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But they don't need a Facebook friend. They need an IRL friend. Do you know what IRL is? In real life friend. They need someone who will sit with them and, and talk with them, maybe share coffee, share tea, maybe share a meal. Because they have some burdens in life. They're, they're overwhelmed. They don't know what to do. Now, I would love, I would love to meet with all those people, but there's a couple of problems. I only have so much time. And, and number two, some of those people don't like me. They come and hear me preach, and it's like, I don't want to talk to that guy. But you could draw alongside them and say, hey, I see you're new to our church. Could we meet this week? Could we meet this week? Take that as something God's put in your hand. Could we meet this week? You could add them to your house. You, you don't have to make it fancy. I, I try not to invite people for meals because that's a lot of work. I invite people for dessert. Make, make a dessert, right? Give them a cup of coffee. Sit, chat. It doesn't have to be onerous, but you have to take ownership and say, this is my ministry this is what I'm going to do. See, God has a work for Elmira Baptist Church to do. And when I say God has a work for Elmira Baptist Church, I mean God has a work for you to do. Because you are Elmira Baptist Church. And until we use what God's put in our hand, whether it's a Gideon New Testament, or it's the desperate, overwhelmed people who come from Sunday to Sunday, or maybe it's your own neighbor who's desperate and overwhelmed. Maybe it's someone at work, you know, they're just, they're just pulling their hair out. They don't know how to deal with life. But until we use what's in our hand, we can't expect God to give us more. What's in your hand? Father, thank you for the people you've brought to Elmira Baptist Church, for the uh, sm small congregation that you've gathered here We've seen, already seen amazing things. Last year's giving was one example of that. But even just the response to AAA Ministries and to Cuba. Also, last week, as the Gideons came, we've had several members already say, this is what God's called me to do. And I'm grateful for the, the response. I, I'm just thrilled tonight at the number of people who are back. 
And I pray that you bring each one of them that is able and, and, and it's possible for them. I pray that you bring them back on Wednesday night to pray with us. I pray that you burden us, burden us to pray for revival. Burden us to pray for a manifest pre- your manifest presence among us. Burden us to pray for your extraordinary work. Starting in me, starting in us. Overflowing to the community around us. Use the events of January and February and March to prepare us for Resurrection Sunday. And the events of April, in addition to those events, the events of April to prepare us for that conference with Tim Schmidt. And I pray that folks that have not been meeting with you would meet with you. Folks that have just been going through the motions of being a Christian would quit being cold, would quit being lukewarm, and only be satisfied to be hot. Father, I pray for myself as I'm preparing messages, as I want to pass on my heart to these people. I pray that it would not be a, an emotional thing. I, I, I don't want them to feel like I feel. I, I want them to respond to you. I want it to be a spiritual thing. I want their spirit to respond to your spirit. So I pray for that as well. And I do pray that we can get into this new building, Father, where we can minister to even more people, where the work will be even more, where there will be more op- opposition and, and more struggles. Lord, give us a vision to be a part of your army here in Elmira. Give us a, a vision to just ride the tidal wave of your power and your glory in its effects in our neighborhood. Lord, show us what's in our hand. What is it that we can do? And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.